with a Lahore watch. There's some Lahores in this house. <laughs> <laughs> Lahore watches now. Lahore watches now. Lahore's <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Anyways. A mess. <laughs> What's good, fam? This is The Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Brenna. And this week, we're talking about the sixth episode of Series 11, Demons of the Punjab. Let's pull to open to talk about our love for Yaz and Gallifrey and millinery. All right, pull to open. Random initial reactions. I think ta very much and saws are my favorite Britishisms. So when Graham goes ta very much to the doctor, I was like... <laughs> I think I learned those from Doctor Who. Yeah. I don't, don't think I was familiar. Sauce? I only know so's from, I'm sorry to say, from Instagram fitness bitches that I do workouts. What? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> when does that come up? Also, Oh, because they'll be Britain? like, uh, oh yeah. That's they'll so be funny. like, we're doing what burpees today, so's. And it's always like, ugh. <laughs> All right, makes sense. <sighs> I didn't know. Yo, Yaz's nanny. Just shamelessly calling Yaz her favorite grandchild at the dinner table. Oh my gosh, shameless. As much as I love Yaz. That's messed up, girl. Yeah. What's up with abuelas That's and grandmas therapy. doing that? <laughs> Future therapy guarantee. Absolutely. For Yaz and her sister. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Definitely her sister. And uh, Nadia's like, excuse me, we I talked told about this. you. <laughs> That's not going to change her, girl. Like... That's not going nowhere. Anyways, on the other hand, Yaz being the doctor's favorite, <laughs> that I can fucks with. I feel like that's a little different. <laughs> it is. It In truly some very is. key ways. Yes. Speaking of the doctor, her fucking helmet, man. I know. That welding helmet with the Galfrain all over it. It's so dope. It it's is so pretty. dope. And paired with the apron, of course. You yes. know me. I love me an apron. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good look. Yeah. And back to Yaz. Just got... No chill meeting her nanny. Don't get me wrong, it's oceans of more chill than Rose meeting her dad, but still, just, like, go straight for the hug. Yeah. Doctor, come get your girl. I mean, and she totally does. The doctors be like, mm, maybe we should explain who the fuck we are yeah. first. <laughs> I mean, I would totally embarrass myself, too, if I were in her shoes meeting my young abuela in Guatemala. Like, that would be, it would be overwhelming. Super intense, so I don't blame her at all. But the doctor just... Sitting on the side, giving Yaz a look, just like, don't be trying nothing. Yeah. And then she immediately, I'll volunteer to help manage, aka Harry Potter looks. Well, he really does. How dare. Harry Potter, yeah. I know. <laughs> what we should have had for Harry Potter. Just in general, though, the back and forth between Yaz and the doctor about getting involved is my absolute favorite. And it's very foreshadowy to the haunting of Villo Deodati when the doctor is on their ass about treading softly and history's vulnerable tonight and no snogging Byron and especially you Yaz it's very important that you don't snog Byron and then five minutes later so ghost stories anyone <laughs> and then in demons the way that Yaz is so scandalized by the doctor officiating the wedding it's all great stuff <laughs> love it anyways so when they first all arrive it's wild to me that Graham doesn't just immediately get why he shouldn't go announcing he from England. Literally, in what point in history would you not want to keep that to yourself? Yeah. 
Yeah. Tell me, bro. We saw a live commentary with Vinay at last year's galley, Rip, and he said mm-hmm. that the little figure Prem pulls off his brother's body is a household god that he included this because he said when he was little, Vinay, he got to pick a household god, which it's Hanuman. We'll talk more about that later. Glory to Hanuman. So that's why he ended up giving Prem the little figurine that he did because he had that when he was a little boy, too. Yeah. I love it. I'm so here for that. Yeah. He also specifically, during the commentary, he shouted out both Shane Zaza, who plays Prem, and Amita Saman, who plays young Umbreen, with good reason. They're both really brilliant. So good. Yeah. They're so good. Wonderful work. I mean, I just love them as characters, but Mm -hmm. they just did a really good job with them. The only other thing I remember from the live commentary that we saw was (laughs) Vinay said they got horses for the men at the end because it was cheaper than having carriages. Which I think wild. is fairly wild, yeah. <laughs> and in one take, one of the men fell off his horsey, and the horsey ran away. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that reminds me of when, uh, also in this episode, when filming, maybe it was just a clumsy set. Toast and Cole falls off the carriage as they are pulling in to the home. <laughs> And they definitely caught it on screen. Like, they were filming at the time. They were able to watch it. And I'm pretty sure he'll never live it down. Yeah. I think it even got brought up on stage when, yes. shout out to Joy. Um, the live commentary. Joy bring it up in commentary. I was like, if you ever just run out of things to talk about, just bring up when Ryan fell off the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just fucking love this cast. Yeah. They have so much fun together, and you can totally tell. Super other random note to close out the pull to open section. Just there's so many moments, and this is another one to add to the list of times Yaz is gazing at the doctor, gazing at science. So what is it then? Science. Should <laughs> break the sample down, give us more information. The doctor is so adorably proud of her shit, which I love. Even not? when Umbring comes in to invite them to do the woman things. What's that? Part of my uh, demon repellent. The doctor has this, like, little kid energy. That about be gone by tomorrow. Definitely. I'm not making a mess. I promise I'll clean it up. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Speaking of things I'd like to gaze upon fondly, maybe it's time to head to the High Council so we can talk a little bit about Sagoon's incredible score for this episode. We're in the High High Council of Gallifrey, the segment where we discuss folks and the power positions in the world of Who production. We have a fun one today. Yeah. Such great people. It is great. It's written by Vinay Patel. We love. We love, we love. Yeah. Fun fact, Vinay is the voice of man number one on the radio right before the wedding scene. My friends, I woke this morning to the sight of smoke over the hills. So cool. Yeah. I was listening for it this time. Yeah. Uh, Vinay, when we saw him at Galley this last year, said that when he met with Chris Chibnall to talk about Series 11, Chibnall said that it's going to be more focused on the idea of the Doctor as a traveler instead of mm-hmm. the Doctor as a mighty hero, which yeah. is why even though a lot of the stories have, like, their broader context is really big, mm-hmm. the Doctor and what their friends are doing is much, much smaller scale, so they're much more intimate stories on the back set of big world stage. So I think that's an interesting way to kind of look at how this episode is shaped because partition is happening in the background, but it's about a wedding and it's about a family disagreement. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And Vinay also said that this episode was basically 
his love letter to his own nanny at the end of the live commentary. He was like, the secret of this episode is that nanny's always right. Don't tell my nanny I said that. Fucking yes. <laughs> Respect and elders. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Get it, Vinay. Oh, everything I learn, every new thing I learn about Vinay just makes me love him more. Mm-hmm. So great. In conclusion, we stand harder than ever before. We do. It's true. And I would like to point out that Vinay did his fucking homework. He both cares about the issues behind this episode and just how these narratives were told and comparing, like, just looking at the amount of books that he read and researched for this this was, like, Mm -hmm. comparing it to, let's just say, Peter Harness and how he handled Zygon two-parters just, woo! Yeah. How embarrassing. And, I mean, this is a real historical and the Zygon two-parter wasn't, but... As we have discussed on the podcast, it's just so clearly a sandbox that Peter Harness thought he could mess around in to speak to things that are super important that he just don't know nothing about, an immigrant or refugee narrative. And she's like, that wasn't your story to tell. And this was Vinay's, and he still did his homework. Yeah, and Vinay also, I mean, the other thing, I don't know Vinay personally, if he happens to listen to this if you want to be our friend, Vinay, I mean, I'm not against it. But when this episode aired, one of the things that Vinay did was like a really intense tweet along where he mm-hmm. went through and talked about, okay, here's what this moment is referring to. And here's what I did to kind of prepare for this. Actually, partition, like they said and decided partition would be on these days, but it actually happened on this day. Yep. And that's why I have this line. And that's why this. So one of the things that I have walked away with from the times I've seen Vinay or just like gone through his tweets is that he's very, very very generous with his mm. thought process and really does think critically about how do I make this do the thing I really want it to do. I want to make sure that I'm saying what I want to say and that I will absolutely stand. So much respect. Yeah. Like he, I think we've said this on the podcast, he literally showed up un, yeah. uninvited or unlike bribed to come to the POC meetup yeah. at Galley. Yeah. It was so beautiful and like he wasn't, he was so like humble and and, like, honored to be there. And we're yeah. like, girl, please, please, we are geeking out right now. And we're like, you have to be on this picture. You cannot be the one taking the picture of the crowd. So, yes, lovely person from an audience perspective watching his stuff and from, like, actually being able to meet him and just interacting him with the very little amount that I was able to. Yeah. And seeing him on stage, amazing. Yeah. I'm still so happy that Joy was able to interview yeah. him. It was yeah. so fun being in the audience. And let's talk about cinematography. Yeah. Can we just talk about how beautifully shot this episode was? This episode is beautiful. It's directed by Jamie Childs, so that makes sense. (laughs) Breathtaking as per usual. Yeah. I think a couple of scenes that stand out are particularly the confrontation scene between Prem and Manish and the horsemen behind Manish. Yeah. The way that you can only barely see the single tear falling down Prem's cheek as he pleads with his brother. Yeah. Very good. Please, Manish. At the moment, all the tension between Prem and his brother is shifted to moments before Prem is shot, the tension between Prem and the shooter. Yeah. And the sun is just cutting through the hole of the trigger and the dissonance because it's beautifully shot and the setting is just gorgeous. And it's like this tragic, tragic, terrible moment. When this episode ended today, I was like, this episode's so fucking sad. 
It is really beautiful. Yeah. I also really love right before that section you were just talking about when he's walking up to confront his brother and it's the sun. Yep. It's So they're facing the sun and the sun's cutting into the camera. And so he's um, kind of backlit. Yeah. Really beautiful stuff, as you would expect from Jamie Childs. And then, obviously, of course, music by Sagoon. Sagoon! Oh, Sagoon is so great. In an interview, he's actually done a couple of interviews specifically where he spent a long time talking about Demons of the Punjab. We'll put links in the show notes. But I was reading one where he, Sagoon was saying it was really, really important to him when Chris Chibnall told him about this episode. It was important to him that he get it right. And so he said, I, he was like, I've done some studies of Indian music in my degree, so I wasn't coming from nothing. Mm -hmm. But he mentioned that he was looking at, like, Black Panther as the benchmark. He said Ludwig Göransson in the score for Black Panther really represented a lot of African culture. And Sagoon said, like, as a mm -hmm. black Nigerian man, I felt represented. And so when mm -hmm. I went to go do Demons of the Punjab, it was important to me that I do that. Like, yes. that was what I was holding myself to. So I think it's really interesting that... He's, I, I stand Ludwig Gornson. If you follow me on Twitter personally, then no, you already really? know that I'm in his mm. uh, top 1% fans on Spotify. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting that Sagoon was like, I wanted to make sure the music sounded real and it was important to me that it didn't sound pastiche. So yeah. he really, really wanted to get it right. And they spent time seeking out professional musicians who that was their actual, like, that's what they're known for. He also, in the same interview, he said that he's actually composed specific themes for each of the companions and a team theme. So I demand that we get all the tracks released and not just the selection that's on the soundtrack. Thank you, thank you. Yes, and please. Here, also, here. I want a full soundtrack for Series 12. How dare you not give me no jurisdiction in outer space? I'm still mad about it three months later. Anyways. Worth the whole soundtrack. <sighs> yeah, when it came to the closing tune over the credits, Sagoon said... When they were talking about it, he went to Chris Chibnall and he said, well, really, there's three things we can do. You can leave it as is. And Sagoon said, I don't feel like that's appropriate, given how the episode ends and what the tenor of the episode is. So then can he you said, imagine? I know. Oh, my God. So I'm then so he said, the that. other two options are we can just kind of keep with the Yaz and Nani theme. Mm -hmm. I can just lengthen that out. Or he said we could do a stylized version of the credits tune. And he said Chris Chibnall went, that one sounds the most exciting. So let's do that. And so he did some work to give it the theme that we have now, which is very, very beautiful. And it has that sarangi and also features the vocalist Shahid Abbas Khan vocalizing over it. So... I mean, Sagoon does the work. Just let him be. Just yeah. let him do his fucking thing. I'm so glad that they weren't cowards about it, that they yeah. just fucking did Went it. Went for it. Yep. That's mm -hmm. right. So yet again, Sagoon is carrying this high council one-handed. Congrats to him. <laughs> Always. Uh, I mean, that's not true, but it's for the segue. Okay, <laughs> totally. Maybe we should go ahead to the Black Archive to talk about right-wing nationalism, yay, and also another English majoring nerd alert. Sounds good. This is the Black Archive, a segment that's full of such dangerous, forbidden, and powerful things that even the doctor can't go here, or shouldn't. Here we talk about things like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, all the stuff your mom warned you about. Let's do it. What do we got? All right, first let's have a little fun gender 
stuff. <laughs> uh, so if I almost forgot about the panic in the doctor's eyes when they divided the men from the women for the pre-wedding traditions. The panic in her eyes. It was yeah. so precious. Oh my gosh, I feel it. She kind of like freezes and then looks to Yaz like, um, uh, I go with you guys, right? I go with you. And then Yaz just gives her permission. Yeah, let's go with the women. Yeah. Um, I also deeply appreciate the really playful explanation of her reference to body and gender regeneration. All in, All in jest. jest. I'm such a comedian. Gosh, she's so fucking adorable. And we wonder between that and the apron and the helmet why I resonate with her. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> This episode is English major catnip, honestly. <laughs> it really is. So I'm going to talk just a tiny bit about Prem's household god of choice. And I'm also going to start with just like a little uh, head warning that I am not Hindu and I don't have a Hindu background no, really? in my family. I know. So what I know is just based on Googling and reading and researching of the lightest kind. Definitely. So if I'm I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me. I really am not precious about being wrong in almost any circumstance. Almost any. I'll fight you on Shakespeare. Anyways, so Prem's household god is Hanuman. And Hanuman is the Hindu archetype of kindness, generosity, devotion, steadfastness. Uh, he's kind of like the right-hand man of the major deity, Rama. Gotta get your right hand yeah. back. Gotta get your right hand back. back. Oh my god, can you believe that they call them the right-hand band in the actual... That's what they call the pit band Beautiful. in Hamilton. That's wonderful. Beautiful. So fucking wonderful. Anyways. Um, in the Ramayana, which is one of the texts that has a bunch of the myths of Rama... Um, Rama's brother was wounded in battle and needed a specific herb to get well. And so they send Hanuman because Hanuman is extra fast and magical. Anyways, Hanuman gets to this mountain where this herb is supposed to be, but he can't tell which herb he's supposed to bring. So he just brings the whole mountain. Bring the whole mountain. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a really beautiful legend, of course. And also it really lines up with the overarching themes of kindness and generosity and steadfastness here. Because Prem's dedication is to doing the right thing. And Umbreen's steadfastness is I will not be bullied mm. by people's prejudice. I love who I love. And it's fine if it's a cross-religion marriage. So I think that's also, when Vinay said he dedicated, like, he wrote this as a love letter to his own nani, I think that's super sweet because it's just a celebration of what this deity, what Hanuman represents to people who enjoy that legend or people who are Hindu and the sort of mirroring of what Hanuman is known for, which is, like, being a good servant, being a dedicated friend and real, true love and generosity. You move the mountains. Super meaningful. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's why I say it's English major catnip. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, yeah. I fucking stan Umbreen. She fucking rules. Can we talk about it? She Just, like, rules. mad respect. Yes. She knows her brother, or soon-to-be brother-in-law, is mad problematic. Her mama barely going along with this wedding. And a fucking national crisis is actively unfolding around them. And still... She knows what the fuck she wants, and you can bet she is fighting for that shit. You think I give up that easily? I've seen war take our young, and drought take our old and weak. Now men without a clue are imposing a border like a crack through my country. Prem is the one certain thing in my life. She said, y'all wilding, but I, I know our history on this land. I am painfully aware of what we have been through, and 
We did not make it through an actual war apart to be torn apart by a border. And you can't take that away from me. The history of our families working alongside each other for generations, and I value that history over your dusty ass narrative that says because of our religions we should be separated by this border. Yeah. I love her refusal of that narrative and her insistence on holding on to what she fought for. Yeah. Our families have worked the land alongside each other for generations. I can't believe it's happening. It reminds me actually of a quote in something Alicia Garza, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, said, it's hard to be hopeful in these moments, but I'm so damn mad. I'm like, just watch me do it. Mm. And I love this because it's not the white, liberal, everyone hold hands and just be nice to each other kind of hope. Yeah. It's not hope to make other people feel comfortable. It's hope for our sake, for our stability and happiness. And that's what Umbreen has. And also she got bars. Like, as soon as that watch cracked when it fell on the floor, yeah. she instantly responded. It's perfect. This is us forever. Our moment in time. Yeah. I'm like, bitch, that is a whole ass Doctor Who season long arc right there, if you wanted. Like, they could revolve a whole season on that one line. Yeah. Bars. Yeah. I fucking love it. Anyways, shout out to Umbreen, the end. When so she. Good. After he's been a dick for like 30 minutes, mm-hmm. when she asks Manish, can I feed you because you fed us? Yep. Oh, fuck. I didn't work this land for you, Umbreen. How dare you refuse? I what a dickhead. I know, right? Because that's that right there is like her saying, here's the evidence. Yes. Here's literally what we've been doing for generations. Remember when we took care of each other? Yeah. I'm showing you that you are refusing to acknowledge actual reality. Yeah, yeah. And he chooses it because... Because he's radicalized. Yeah. And he won't even allow himself to see yeah, real he's shit just that he's experienced. Been red pilled in nineteen forty. Yeah. 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 Obviously, speaking of which, this episode is re- is wrestling with the concept of radicalization of young men. Here we see it being accomplished through pamphlets and the radio, and it results in Manish being unrecognizable to his own brother, mm-hmm. which is very upsetting. (laughs) This episode aired in November of 2018, I think. So it's also really hard to not read this as an allegory of what was happening with the right-wing radicalization and Brexit and around the world. I mean, obviously people are being radicalized here in the U.S. too, but Vinay Patel is British, so I'm going to go ahead and guess that's what he was thinking about. And I think about, I think it's Prem says this, we've lived together for decades and now we're being told that our differences are stronger than what unites us, which is very, very obviously a line (laughs) about Brexit. It's so interesting to think about this in conjunction with Zygons because Zygons is so clunky and ham-fisted about what it's saying about Brexit. And this episode is very obviously responding to Brexit, but is not so like duck-footed about it. So good job, Vinay, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, and this one is actually pro-immigrant, unlike yeah. Saigon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this episode is not like, immigrants, mind your business. This episode is like, no, fuck you. Immigrants are a really valuable part of this entire culture yeah. and ecosystem. So just get bent. And, and there's a lot of complexity here that this episode just acknowledges and no. lets sit there. Can you believe an episode written by a man of color about... Oh the immigrant experience, about, <laughs> like, a person of color's experience in partition is better than something that was written by a white dude. Man. That's outrageous. Who would have guessed? That is outrageous. Who would have guessed? <laughs> People of 
color haven't been saying this all along since hire the dawn people of, time. of color to write your stupid show. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to see more of it. Absolutely, yeah. and I want to continue adding to us tracking series 11's themes of non-typical alien villains. So, series 11, it's just like obsessed with other things being villains. So the villain is capitalism. The villain is greed. Now, in Demons of the Punjab, it's so striking because we are given an alien species this time, and that is, to my knowledge, is new and foreign to the universe. But in our introduction to them, they are everything you would expect a villain to mm-hmm. be. Their whole appearance is loaded with things that are usually shorthand for evil, right? We, and we are taught to read those physical traits as untrustworthy. So it's pretty easy to pretty much automatically accept them as the story's villain. But the villain ends up being nationalism. Yeah. Now that is the shit. Mm-hmm. Nationalism that teaches us the very same principles that tell us to assume that the foreignness of the Thajarians is an indication of untrustworthiness. Yeah. The principles of othering and fabricating what's safe and quote-unquote normal through demonization of the other. Demonization, right? Yeah. They literally called them demons. Yeah. Fabricating a sense of belonging dependent on exclusion. And again, the real demons are nationalism. Yeah. These are demons I have to face alone. So, okay, spoiler alert for the film Captain Marvel. Skip this if you haven't seen it. But the way this interrogates our othering instincts feels super similar and in the same vein as the reveal of the Kree being not the malicious bad guys, but actually refugees who have been villainized for trying to find their family. Yeah. And, I mean, in Demons, it doesn't help that when the the Jarian first show up, they'd be like... That's exactly wow, it sounds the exactly track. like the episode, baby. I know. Sagoon and I talked. If you are talking to Sagoon without sharing with me, I'm going to be so pissed. On your deathbed, I'll tell you. He's so pissed. Sagoon and I, we talked. Anyways. Um, and then I you will know, jump you know up track. out of my deathbed and live for another 10 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> My betrayal is the key to your life. As in all things, spite motivates me. You should know better. (laughs) The air in my lungs. (laughs) Anyways. Wow. That went downhill real fast. Okay. And in Captain Marvel. (laughs) Listen. The same things happen in Captain Marvel with the Kree. Yeah. Where they're trying to mislead you, right? So, although in Captain Marvel, I will say, I feel like most of us knew something pretty shady was happening with Yon Rog the moment his Jude Law face appeared on screen. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just predisposed to not trust that face. Yeah, you got. I mean, I really don't. Jude Law has really leaned into that. Like that's his vibe for the last decade and a half or Thank so. Thank you. You got to give it up to a man who was a villain in his own life, and then he was just like, you know what? I'm gonna run with it. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> but yo, like some people think he's very cute and charming. Is that still true? I don't think so. Okay. I think it was. And I'm then very after the out of tune with after what the hot goss him. where he cheated on his wife, that's when people were like, "Oh, you're a dick." And he was like, "Yeah, 
I'm a dick. And everyone went, oh, okay. Fucking white men own that shit all the let's, time. Let's run with it. Okay, so I'm vindicated in me thinking that he just has a very punchable face. He does have a punchable face. Okay. It's 100% true. Great. I feel much better. Actually, I didn't give a shit. But, you know. Our investment in Jude Law in this house oh. is at zero. Absolutely negative zero. <laughs> what about Bechtel and Duvernay? Oh, I didn't even think about this, but it's got to be, yeah, for both, right? It's a double yes, for cool. sure. Double yes. Umbreen's a badass. And Prem is a badass, too. He's just a I different kind Prem. of badass. I know. Prem He's is so fucking adorable. He yes. definitely lives up to his name. Yes. Blech. Okay. Glad we're done talking about nationalism, because it really bums me out. It is a bummer, but I think I have the antidote ready for that. Okay, what's that? We can go to the heart of the TARDIS to talk about love and devotion, which will definitely get that nasty taste out of our mouths, and our sponsors can tell us about themselves on our way. All right. This podcast is brought to you by Lahore Brand Watches. When it comes to selecting the right watch for you, there are many factors to consider, including brand reliability, design, materials, and cost. With luxury brands, you will get a beautiful aesthetic for a huge price point, but not much else. This is where Lahore Brand Watches comes in. We design elegant pieces that only look fast. Our designs are timeless, and our materials are all locally sourced and produced to last. Don't waste money on an overpriced watch when a beautiful timepiece at a reasonable price point is available. Commemorate your moment in time with a Lahore watch. This is the heart of the TARDIS, where we talk about feels and or morals of the episode. What do we got? A struggle. There's just not one feel to be found yeah, in this episode. Yeah, it's just not substantial enough to have a moral to just it either. No depth. I guess we should just leave. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to be really scraping at... <laughs> okay, anyways. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> Big oh my heart gosh. of the TARDIS. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. But don't worry, we we end on a, happy a beautiful, note. happy good, yes. note. But Ish. we're also going to go through it. Okay. <laughs> I would like to point out another moment where we see the doctor again with the graceful, okay, you changed my mind, pivot. We talked about this in Saranga, I mm-hmm. believe. So again, here, after finding the Sadhu Bhakti in the forest, Prem tells the doctor that he's going demon hunting with them. And the doctor immediately says, no, no, you're not coming. She has her own plan. But Prem persists and the doctor accepts. And we got to celebrate that growth. That's right. In general, she's leveling up. I am interested in the concept of the Thajarians as people who keep, like, watch over history. They're guardians. Yeah. And I think this, one of the things this episode is kind of circling around is what does it mean to bear witness? Yes. And just the terrible, heavy responsibility of being present when somebody dies and what that means. And as terrible as Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is, this is actually one of the things it does really beautifully in part two, where the characters are there together to see they witness somebody dying and they know that they cannot, they can't intervene and they can't do anything about it. And it's the idea that your job in that instance, when you know you can't save somebody, when you have to bear witness, when you've been called, is to just be there and to Mm -hmm. be present in the moment, to watch the bad, sad thing happen and to carry that with you. And I think this episode really meditates on this in a way that it doesn't try to wash it away either, right? It's yes. not satisfying when the Thajarians put Prem into their little 
sky of heads, but there yeah. is something beautiful about the Tajarians saying we do this because we think that that's our responsibility now and it's the best way we can serve the universe is to be with people when they've died alone so yes. that they don't die alone. And it's hard work. Yeah. It's not glamorous. It's yeah. the hard work that actually no one else wants to do. And that's why it feels rich. And it's it would be interesting if this episode came before Rosa, actually. Mm. And I know that they don't always shoot in order or even have the order planned out ahead of time. But it would have been, I think, more powerful if this came first. But it is, it's touching on the same idea you're pointing exactly. out. Exactly. The, I was just the responsibility to bear witness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I love that this doctor is getting to play that role yet again. Yeah. I remember thinking about that in The Cursed Child, in watching oh, it, and, so and and feeling really moved by it. But other than that, I just remember that when you brought this up right now. Because, like, other than that, that whole play, that whole book... Deleted most of it. Erased from yeah. my memory. Even though, I mean, the, the uh, we're going to talk about The Cursed Child for just ten seconds. The reading it is awful. The seeing it was incredible. So that's interesting. And if you want to hear somebody have a way more cogent and intelligent conversation about the idea of bearing witness and Cursed Child, which, please, one of our favorite Harry Potter podcasts has a really interesting talk about that section of the play. But it is just the idea that you are responsible to be there and to be present and to accept your limits, right? Which is kind of part and parcel with how they're playing the Doctor this series, that she's not the big hero. She is a traveler who has stumbled into something that she cannot change. And instead mm -hmm. of running away, 10th Doctor, or pretending it's <laughs> not happening, 11th Doctor, <laughs> she is just being there and accepting that there's nothing I can do to change this, and my yes. job is to be present. That's what I was going to say, is that sometimes the hardest part of loving someone or being a good person, a good friend, a good companion, anything, is the parts when you want to do something and you actually can't. Yeah. And you feel fucking helpless. That's the hardest shit. Yeah. And the doctor has a lot of opportunities um, in her run thus far to do that. And I feel like they handle that pretty well. Yeah. Back to the Cursed Child. If you want to listen to mess about the Cursed Child and, <laughs> and just laugh your fucking ass off, then I would go over to Wizard, Wizard Team, Team. Yeah. and hear them just drag it, drag it, drag it straight to hell. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's a fun time though. It yeah. really is. When the trolley lady crawls on top of the train, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? The Anyways. lowest point. Oh my Actually, god! Actually, I don't know if that Again. is one of the lowest points. No, I think Cedric Diggory is like oh. a, a huge betrayal. Trolley lady is like, oh, what the fuck, but whatever. Exactly. Cedric Diggory is like, you have failed to understand this character at fucking all. Too oh. far. It makes me so mad. <laughs> throw hands like <laughs> too fucking far this Cedric is the best example of a Hufflepuff this okay we are Harry not on a Harry Potter podcast we're moving on stay in your lane okay <gasps> let's go my next note is really sad okay. <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> but seriously like yo when Prem's face gets oh, added to the rest so that sad. they have honored yeah. that's fucking beautiful but then they do another gut punch because that scene transitions into the TARDIS console. Yeah. A home that holds so much grief and so much loss for those it has known and seen past. Yeah. So the TARDIS console itself is like their own, the Dryan Hive. Yeah, I wonder, because 12's console had the companions' names yeah. on those rotating columns yeah. up top, and no one has yet on the internet translated what's on her step, and I wonder if it's companions' names again, which I would, I would so. love, 
Also, I just want to know, because I'm a nosy bitch, what it says. Anyways. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that Chimnall told Vinay that Series 11 was going to explore the Doctor more as a traveler than the Doctor as epic hero. And I think that's super interesting and makes a lot of sense here, because, like I mentioned in the Ghost Monument, the Doctor spends a lot of time listening and observing and learning from others' experiences, especially in this episode, where the Doctor may know the history of the partition, but she doesn't know this family's specific experience of mm. it. And where the Doctor would normally just show up in the middle of a crisis and assume charge, we see 13 spent a lot of her time contributing her expertise, but alongside empowering others' knowledge. Yeah. So just recently, like going back a couple episodes, we saw this in Saranga with Mably and Eve and Durkis actually too, and Arachnids. When someone questioned her leadership, it wasn't even the doctor that was like, shut up, listen to me, I'm in charge. Yeah. It was the fam who backed her up. So this is very different and a, yes. definitely a different shift for how Doctor Who handles the doctor. But I just really feel really strongly that seeing the doctor be able to do both these kinds of leadership just doesn't make them any less interesting or any less powerful. To me, these decisions have made the doctor more compelling as a character and as a symbol of hope. And this actually gives her the ability to so swiftly apologize to the Thajarians, immediately observing their gesture for grief and joining them in holding their hands to their chest. And similar, like we said, to Rosa and her role in that episode, the Doctor joins the Thadrarians to witness and to honor, not to be the hero, and save the day. On top of that, Vinay being told to keep the scope of the story more intimate and small scale was also super interesting, because though the partition feels huge scale, it's not an end of time or end of the universe story, so yes, relatively speaking, it's actually quite small of a story for Doctor Who. Yeah. And that's definitely a strength of the episode. It feels super focused. The visual language is focused. The themes it revolves around feel focused. And we get a story of this huge historical moment for a country affected an individual specific family. And what they did really well was they were able to communicate how ununique that heartache was with this tragedy while also inserting something so exceptional and as special as a wedding on the fucking border that was just punctured into the ground and reclaiming the very rope that was fastened to divide their community as the thread to fasten this love and commitment between a Muslim and a Hindu, which was chef's kiss, beautiful. Because they were like, oh, this your border? Mind if we throw up flowers and rainbows all over it? Thanks. I know there aren't many certainties in any of our lives. Which brings Don't us, of course, to the wedding. Prem? And the doctor's speech was beautiful. Um, probably one of my favorite moments, but I'll talk about it here. I specifically I always remember... Love, in all its forms, is the most powerful weapon we have. Because love is a form of hope, and like hope, love abides. Mm -hmm. Of course. For so many different reasons, but yeah, that was a really beautiful moment in such a heavy, heavy episode, obviously. You fought for it, and you waited for it, and now you're committing to it, which makes you right now the two strongest people on this planet, maybe in this universe. And then, of course, last feel is when 
Yaz is always talking with her nanny. Mm-hmm. Just the immigrant family feels of it all. I think the episode begins and ends with them, right? Yeah. So first she's really desperately wanting to know her grandmother's story because, like she said, it's her heritage. And then she comes back carrying this weight almost that so many children of immigrants carry because she knows what her nanny had been through and what she gave up for Yaz, really, to have a life and more opportunity and stability. Yaz then wants to hear that her nanny has happiness herself. And in the end, I love that she gives her space to hold her secret a little bit longer. Yeah. It's interesting to me that at the beginning of the episode, she's like, I want to know because I this is my story and I want to know it. Like, it's part of who I am. Yeah. And then after going and seeing, meeting Prem, seeing what happens when she comes back, she tells, when her nanny is like, do you really want to know the story about the watch? She mm-hmm. comes back and says, tell me a different day, which is a really beautiful recognition of, it's okay. It's I'm actually not entitled to this, even though I know it. And I want you to tell me on a day when the time is right. And not just because yes. I was bugging you. Yes. And I think that's really sweet. Acknowledging that she gets her nani. Yeah. Like, that's already a gift enough. I think she still wants to know, and I think yeah. it's still important to know. Yeah, and to but hear it like, from her nani's perspective, of course. Yeah. But they're, it's for both of them. Like, yeah. it's both for Yaz still, and it's also never at the expense of her nani. Yeah. Yeah. Respect your elders. So... What are we sending to a crack in time and space this week? All it says here is Manish. That's it. There's no manish? notes. Just send them. Manish. Or by. It could be Manish or it could be nationalism. How about both? All right. Nationalism. Broke, broke ass Harry Potter and nationalism. <laughs> Say goodbye to that. Bye, Ronimo, to that. <laughs> Bitch, never to be seen again. Okay. I'm okay with that. Favorite three moments. Of course. The doctor, don't call her a thing, Graham. Yeah. The doctor saying my references to body and gender regeneration are all in jest. Such a comedian. <laughs> Ryan coming, running in through the fields. My day! <laughs> we lost the doctor. He's so fucking funny. Anything he does. So good. Yeah. Also, speaking of which, Ryan's face when Manish gets up and leaves Prem's bachelor party. So good. Yeah. So embarrassed. <laughs> the doctor's wedding speech. Obviously. Of and Nani's. This is a terrible design. This is a terrible design. <laughs> still mad about it. <laughs> like she don't know yeah. the mom's design, but still. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, that's it for this week. Next week we'll be back to talk about the seventh episode of series eleven, Kerblam. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts and your feels on this episode or any other one. And please remember to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice because it really does help other queeros find us. Until next time, be gay. Do crimes. Yeah. Turn on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever. Yeah. The Jarian hive is dope. Oh, the way it looks? Yeah. Even Prem was like, okay. This is slick. Yeah. But they got taste, though. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I don't like their pointy outfits, but this ship looks nice. <laughs>